Welcome to the Informed Advocate Podcast. I'm your host, Sharon, the number one self-caregiver authority. This podcast is to facilitate the intersection of self-care, advocacy, and compassion for self-caregivers. Welcome, welcome, welcome. So with this episode, we have a special guest, and this is a continuation of a discussion of sickle cell awareness. And the guest is my dear friend, Cassandra Khan, and she will talk about her, she would talk about sickle cell from a caregiver's point of view. And so she would share her journey of caring and supporting her loved one who has moved on. And so listen to this podcast with an open heart. Listen to this podcast to also really get some insight of what it is for a person who experienced or who is diagnosed with sickle cell, but also for their loved one who have support. And so this is for, especially for leaders, you know, you have workers, you could be you yourself or a family member, and it shows you too the support that people need. And so welcome to this episode of the Informed Advocate Podcast. Hi there, hi there, everyone. This is Sharon, the... And I'm pausing here for a moment because of the fact that sometimes I have like several um, things that I do. So I want to make sure I say the right thing. Okay. Uh, And so this is your host, Sharon, for the Informed Advocate Podcast. And today we have a special guest, my dear friend from high school, Cassandra. And I'm just going to say Cassandra because I I realized I was about to say your old last name. But anyway, she's also better known as Buffy. I wanted to put that out there because of the fact I that's how I know her. So if you hear Buffy, she's the same person. And so again, we're going to talk about sickle cell um, disease, more so from a um, caregiver's perspective. Um, so Cassandra, just tell us a little bit about yourself first. Okay, well, um, born and raised here in Columbia, South Carolina. And as you introduced me, my first name is Cassandra, um, make name Sweat, and after getting married, Con. So, and a lot of my close friends and family know me as Buffy. So that's my nickname. Um, let's see, I was married for 19 years uh, to my husband, Ben Con, um, who was diagnosed with sickle cell. Um, and we were married for, like I say, 19 years, um, and during those 19 years, let's see, he has one son, and I have a son as well, who is now 17 years old. Um, I work um, for an organization here at a hospital, Prisma Health, and been there for 29 years, so um, I have to mention our hospital because I owe a great deal to the employees that were formerly there and who are still there that actually used to help care for my husband. Um, so uh, I have an MBA. I work in procurement um, with Prisma Health with the finance department with graduate medical education. Um, so 
since being there for 29 years, I don't think I'm going anywhere in no time soon. <laughs> so uh, Prisma Health is like my second home and I would explain in more detail why um, with the care that was given to my husband when he was alive. And again, thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us for this. And I think that it's really important for people, um, whether they're family or friends or even coworkers and leaders, you know, and managers, if they have someone on their team or in their family or in their circle who's diagnosed with sickle cell. Because I don't think that a lot of people really know what that is. And then not only that, what people truly endure you know, not just the person who's diagnosed with it, but also family and friends and loved ones who help take care and support that person. So for you, just in general, like what is your definition or perspective of what sickle cell is? Sickle cell is a very painful disease. Um, there are different types of sickle cell. I can't go into details exactly what are the different forms because I'm, I'm not a medical health profession, but um, my husband had what you had sickle cell uh, SS, which according to what we learned over years, that's the worst one. Um, and he was diagnosed, of course, at birth. Mm -hmm. um, both parents carried what is called a trait, mm -hmm. two traits uh, become one and it's 99.9% chance that the child would develop sickle cell which okay. he was at 99.9 percent um he had a normal childhood um from my understanding where he you know told me and his family so and when we were dating I had no idea that he had an illness because the normal everyday life was was fine um but you know I found out later that he had sickle cell and um, but it didn't discourage me to con um, continue to date him and later marry. Um, but during that time, I, I saw what it did to him, um, just the, the pain. And it's a very painful disease. Like I said, some people can endure it. Um, the pains are, I, I believe, are various for different people because I've seen other people with sickle cell and they can take maybe or something over the counter or, or like um, narcotic to help with the pain. Um, so, but it's for him um, in the first few years of our marriage, that's what it was like. And occasionally have to go to the emergency department to get medicine and, you know, come home and be better. So uh, in the beginning, that's what I saw just something that was painful um, disease, but didn't realize in debt to how painful it was until later on the older that he got. Okay. So, um, yeah, it's, I look at it as just a very painful uh, blood disorders for um, a lot of African Americans and a few Mediterraneans have it as well. Okay. But I look at it as just a, a painful disease. Yeah. And like I said, I really didn't realize of how painful it was. And so I think that's really very crucial for people too, because I think for people who never experienced any pain and especially chronic pain or something that's reoccurring, um, I don't think that people really get it, you know, because sometimes 
people can be in so much pain, like you said, where they may have to go to the emergency room for medication. And then not only that, where it's so much of an impact where they, if they have a job, they may not be able to work or even just, again, being around family and friends to see someone in so much pain. And again, one thing that I realized like in working in mental health and I see generally in the medical field per se is that when people do not experience a certain thing, they really don't have an understanding. And it's almost like they really, when, even when it comes to having compassion, mm-hmm. They really can't have the compassion because they don't really know what that pain really is. I mean, I've been in, you know, uh, I've had chronic pain in the past myself and I'm like, oh, this is what this is. You know what I'm saying? And Mm -hmm. I don't even, and I know it's not worse than what your husband or other people have experienced. But for me, you know, it was pretty painful. So Mm -hmm. I guess you could say I can get a glimpse of what it's like, but I just Mm -hmm. want people who are listening to this to really take that in because no one is faking it. It's not anything that somebody can get over, you know, or just go to the hospital. Because even when it comes to medical care, even though they do a wonderful job, but they, you know, some just when it comes to, I would say, chronic pain and severe pain, for what I have seen is that there's really not anything to make it completely go away. Maybe help, but not completely go away. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you're so right, uh, and, and you hit it dead on the spot with compassion, mm-hmm. because we ran into that a lot with visits at the hospital. Um, we've experienced, you know, with physicians, certain, you know, nurses, you know, thinking that he's not in that much pain, and sometimes they will go by how you would look mm. um, if you you look professional and I can remember one physician uh, told him, look like you feel pretty good. You don't like any pain to me. And, and of course, you know, we both got upset and he, and his question was to the physician, how are you supposed to look when you're in pain? Yeah. So um, when you said that compassion, we ran into that a lot. Mm. You know, people just assume you're there for the narcotics, but that's the only thing narcotics, antibiotics, and occasionally maybe a blood transfusion mm-hmm. will help with that illness. So compassion, that's a huge w- word for anybody, I believe, dealing with chronic pain. And so many times people don't receive it because people, like I said, they think they're faking it. But how can you look at someone and tell they're in pain? Yeah. And that's a very good point. And that was one reason why I wanted to really, you know, bring that to the forefront because of the fact Mm -hmm. a lot of times people make judgment what they can see. And then you also brought up a very good point that happens a lot in the medical field, happens a lot with Blacks in the medical field that generally Blacks look like or supposed to endure more pain than anyone else. So Mm -hmm. again, you know, a lot of times some people may not get the care that they truly need. And then the other thing you said too, one, of course, 
with your husband being not only black, but a black male, a black man, Mm -hmm. and then looking professional, Mm -hmm. you know? And then when you said that, I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. It's like, if you look a certain way, you know, pretty much, you know, I guess you say spot on or something, then it's like, oh, there's no way you could be in pain. It's like, you're too handsome to be in pain or, or something like that. Almost as if the person is supposed to look like distraught or something. But like you said, like you all said, how is a person in pain supposed to look? And I think that this is really good because again, with the Informed Advocate podcast, it's for caregivers and it's also for leaders too, so that leaders can have, so say, hey, you know, hey, workers, you can go and listen to this, but it's also for leaders to listen to so that you know that when you have someone who says, hey, I have this diagnosis and this is what's going on with me to know that they are speaking the truth, that they are not playing around, you know, when it comes to that. And then also to the medical field, you know, like a lot of people really don't want to be on narcotics. You know what I'm right. saying? That's the thing because it is addictive. Most yeah, people don't exactly. want to be on it. So for most people when it comes to chronic pain, it is something you know, from my understanding, what most people say is, again, it doesn't completely resolve it, but sometimes it just helps alleviate it some, um, mm-hmm. but it never helps it, you know, go 100% away. And so you, we've already kind of talked about um, like his pain and things like that. And, um, and when it came to um, hospital visits, like in general, what is it like in supporting someone with sickle cell? Because a lot of times it gets overlooked about, you know, family and friends who support someone, you know, um, with the multiple hospital visit, um, visits for some individuals. But not only that, to sit with someone who are critically in pain and there's nothing that you can do about it meaning you know not to take away the pain right right so um in the uh first few years of our marriage uh, I, I had time to lay on reflect after he passed I didn't realize how much that I was doing because at the time it was just me and him you know no kids so it was almost like it was a part of um my routine Mm. and when I say routine because you never know when a sickle cell crisis is gonna hit you don't know so it can happen in the middle of the day at night so as far as with him if it would happen in the middle of night he would wake me up in pain uh it was sometimes he could walk to the car and it was times he had to crawl to the car Mm. because that pain and the pain can be in his legs and his arms and any uh, parts of the body with the joints where Mm. the blood would normally flow within our system just going with uh the the oxygen level in your blood and with when he was going to a crisis where that oxygen is not flowing the blood is stuck 
So where that blood is stuck is where that pain is going to hit. It would be so painful. He will call on his mother. And this, we're talking about a grown man. So whenever I would hear him call on his mama, I knew, okay, this is really, really bad. And I always knew the pain was bad. But when he called on his mama and to see him in tears, Mm-hmm. that's something that was very hurtful to me and not only hurtful to me the urgency of getting him to the emergency room to get that care yeah yeah so it was part of the routine he gets sick we get up we go to the emergency room I will always make sure he um, you know was seen within a timely manner receive his medications, make sure they pulled his medical records. And once he was situated and settled, then I would go home, go go to bed, get up and come back to work. And that's why I say um, the organization I work with is, is was like my second home mm-hmm. because I would get up, take him to the emergency room, make sure he's situated, go home and come back to work where he was a patient. So I, I was very blessed to have a job where he was a patient. Mm -hmm. Because I think about some people who maybe have to do the same thing, go home, go go through their job, leave their jobs and go to the hospital. Unlike myself, I didn't have to because I was there. Yeah. So that was like part of my routine in the marriage, caring for him for 19 years. so it and it just became the norm Mm -hmm. the crisis would happen we did what we had to do and that was part of the task that we had to do was getting him care and sometimes he would be discharged from the emergency room sometimes he would be admitted Mm -hmm. if he would be admitted you know go upstairs and make sure he's okay getting the care you know that he's supposed to be receiving and go home, get clothes, come back, stay the night. So it was just a part of my life. Mm-hmm. So, and I think what got me through, even though he was in chronic pain, he never complained. Mm-hmm. So that's something I will always admire about him when he was here. And that's why I tell people, you know, we all, you know, complain, you know, that's just, I think part of our lives and the little things that we may complain about, but he never complained. He, you know, was in pain, but he never questioned why. Yeah. You know, he just wanted the relief. Yeah. So that was part of caring for him over those years um, until maybe two years before two three years before he passed where the health did decline but that's what was a normal um plan for us during those time when he was here okay mm-hmm. <coughs> excuse me for that and so it sounds like um for you because one you worked at the place where he got the care. And like you said, you didn't have to go off in somewhere else because like for, I was probably say for the average person and they didn't, um, cause I can remember when my mom was at the hospital, especially when she was there for over a week, you know, depends on where you work and live. Mm-hmm. It can still take 30 minutes. Yep. 
even if you say 20 minutes, but I just say for the average person, probably 30 minutes to get there. So that's an hour, meaning 30 minutes there, 30 minutes coming back. And mm-hmm. so, um, so that is a lot of time, you know, as well. And having a job that's really supportive, you know, mm-hmm. it's not just to drive, but because, you know, let's just say doing your breaks or something in between there that you were able to do that. And then having jobs that are supportive, because sometimes, because um, I can remember when my mom, when she was in the hospital at times, you know, I remember one time I had to end up taking a whole week off because mm-hmm. of kind of what her mental state was. And she needed that because she needed someone to kind of talk for her, you know, but again, not all jobs are able to accommodate people like that. And, you know, and then when it comes to leaders, you know, one I say to leaders to consider that even though there's the Family Leave Act, but sometimes it just doesn't catch everything. You know what I'm saying? Especially mm-hmm. before someone can apply and then it depends on what's going on right. and things like that. And I even say too, kind of like what position that people have, you know, um, like the position that I had at the time. Yeah, it was easier for me to take off the position that I have now. No, it wouldn't be easy for me to take off. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? I mean, it's possible, but just mean it's not as easy. And I think that's something that um, people in leadership really need to consider because even though it's your worker, you're someone on your team, but it can be you or your family. You just never know, you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I'm always like, let's look at it, you know, really from a very compassionate position because everybody kind of need that lead way of having support. Um, the other thing is, it sounds like because it integrated into a routine that that made it pretty, um, as it that allowed the flow to kind of mm-hmm. go into it. And then with his um, attitude and his mood, you know, mm-hmm. that that really helped. Like, even though that it was, um, I just say like for some people, it can be very overwhelming and very stressful and then for others and not to take any of that away. Like you say, it became a routine. And I think it depends on the person's attitude um, and how they proceeded as well. And I'm just saying this kind of out loud, just so that people can know that it's different, just like you said in the beginning for each person and then for each person who support for each caregiver and each person who support too. And so also in saying all of that, like in looking back, um, if you can think of like any uh, tips or lessons or even just any support that you wish that you could have had just in hindsight, mm-hmm. even though it sounds like you were able to maneuver it pretty good. But mm-hmm. if you were to, you know, if you're talking to someone who's supporting, what would you tell them so that they can make sure that they're, taking care of themselves too? Um, make sure your family um, is there. Family support is important. And there was times where I would call um, some of his siblings and close friends to help. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, it was things that I could handle when it was just us, when it wasn't so bad. But make sure you reach out to your family and and get support like you say from your physician will have those networks as well and I think about the sickle cell clinic like with Cheryl um, works 
um, because that was in place when he was alive. Mm -hmm. Um, He was able to utilize it some, catch Mm -hmm. a ride with me in the mornings. I would take him some days um, and pick him up. So um, just make sure you have an open mind and communicating with people. Because if if you don't say anything or ask for help, people just going to assume you have it all together. That's true. Um, and I think that was me. I, I didn't. I just did it. But later on down the line, when um, his health did decline, um, I had a lot of help from family, his family mm-hmm. um, would, would drive him or, or come to the house, things of that nature. So I think it's so important to have a close network of people um, to support you and that patient because mm-hmm. it's not easy. Mm-hmm. because like I said, I, by the grace of God, that that's what kept me. And I can, you know, know times where I've had to call people, mm-hmm. not that often. Mm-hmm. And then, and I can remember when his mother was living, I would call once we get to the emergency room with, without calling anybody. So, um, and maybe I should have did things a little different because it didn't take a toll on my body until after he passed away. Mm-hmm. And, and when I say I crashed, I crashed. Yeah. So yeah. I would advise anybody, you know, be mindful, talk to people. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't, don't think you got it all together. Cause yeah, our body was let, will let us know. Yeah. Okay. It's time to sit down. <laughs> Most definitely. And, and that's a really good point too, because um, like in some previous episodes, I talked about uh, what stress is and what trauma is. And trauma can even be just the wear and tear of the body and it's kind of very subtle. So mm-hmm. you make a really good point, especially when you say, you know, like for, uh, for people to try and get their family. And then even when we were talking about the routine, because even like for myself, you know, like um, especially like with my dad, when mm. he had his heart attack and there were times that he and my mom were in the hospital right at the same time. But when wow. he had his heart attack, even though my brother was supportive and stuff and I was in another state and mm. I will come pretty much by every other weekend and, you know, help with this and help with that. And it was kind of one of those things. It's nonstop. So I think part of it is not that we like don't want to ask for mm-hmm. help. And so mm-hmm. that's something for people to, I really want people to really like look at that. It's, it's almost like because I know one time I was trying to explain something to somebody on the same subject because people say, well, I don't know how to help them. Well, I told them to call when someone is in the midst of a crisis or midst of something, they can't because you are in, you know, that mode of really of survival. You know what I'm saying? And so the only thing that I can tell people in which it made me kind of start paying attention once I was in that situation check on the person and just kind of see, you know, just see what they may need. And especially if you're friends with them or family, it's like, oh, well, I know usually this and that and the other, I can help them with this. You know, even if it's 
running an errand for them or taking them out for lunch. Cause I know like sometimes um, a couple of my friends was like, well, Sharon, I was going to invite you to go to uh, lunch, but I know that you got a lot. No, invite me. I'll carve yeah. it out. You yeah. know what I'm saying? <laughs> and that's what people don't realize is like, it's those small things. And so again, it's like, if so, if someone has a lot of a lot of stuff going on when it comes to you know medical condition or even mental health challenges, um, you know, for family, friends, or anyone else, the message is really is to reach out and to see how you can help in that way. The person may not even know what they need or even how. And then, like you said, when everything pretty much, because you were in constant mode, to be honest, you know what I'm saying? And when things settle, then your body just had that full release. It's like, oh, okay, I can rest now, you know? And so, you know, that's that's what it did, mm-hmm. you know? But, um, but I'm glad that, you know, you were able to, you know, do what you were able to do to help support your husband. Yeah, it's, it, it was it, it was tough because, you know, and, and, and you probably can't contest it is that family member that you can for, they're so dependent on you mm-hmm. that nobody else can't do it right. But you, you know, according you know, to them, it's like, no, no, I need Buffy to do this. Or, and, you know, I'm quite sure you probably dealt with your mom and Sharon, call Sharon. And it's, oh my gosh. And when, when you're on that, when they're the patient, they don't yeah. they think, and it's, I don't think it's, they don't mean to be selfish, Mm-mm. but it's very dependent. I, I have a close friend who's dealing with uh, caring for her mom. Mm-hmm. And she said, and she's so, it's always call her name, call her name, call her name, do this, do this, do this. And she said, she's tired. And I told her that's to be expected. Mm-hmm. That's to be expected. And it would, and I, and I told her, I said, but you know, just rely on God, you know, you know, to give you strength. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't. And, and, and I told her, ask. And this may be off the subject, you know, which she was caring for her mom. And I went to meet her to, to pick up her child for her. Yeah. And she, when I met her, she just just dropped in my chest and she cried Mm -hmm. and she said thank you so much she said I'm so tired Mm -hmm. and I told her what else do you need me to do by taking your daughter with me so you can go inside the emergency room and sit with your mom Mm -hmm. she said this is all I need yeah done and that's it that's it yeah exactly yeah you know and target that's on target yeah yeah and she was like, and I said, do you have change of clothes? She said, yeah, I packed the bag. Great. Because if she didn't pack clothes, guess what? We would have went to Target someplace and got everything, you know, her daughter needed. So, and I told her, I understand. Mm-hmm. Been that, done that. Mm-hmm. She said, I don't know where I would be. I said, don't, right now, it's not even worried about that. Mm-hmm. So, and, and these people drove from Charleston. Mm-hmm. So, and so, and I told her, I said, every time you, your mom have a visit here or whatever, call me mm-hmm. and sure enough you know her child been staying the weekend with me so her mom was stay at the hospital so that right there you know like what you just said just just ask to find out because and then you know she didn't want to ask so every so often I mean seen a text hey your mom have an yeah. appointment when is the appointment mm-hmm. 
yeah yeah because yeah, a lot of times in our society for whatever reason people don't want to be a burden but then mm. when we don't ask you know we um it, it's really wear and tear on our body wear and tear on our spirit mm. you know because you know especially when it comes to family because what I, um, on a previous episode, um, I was talking about, you know, supporting caregivers and what people can do. And when I was talking about my mom, one thing that I said, I wouldn't change a thing of what I did for my mom. Um, you know, the only thing that I would say for myself is I would have taken care of myself more, even though I had a self-care routine. And even at that time, it was probably at a more of a beginning stage than what I was, but I would mm -hmm. have rested even more so, meditated even more so, mm -hmm. because all of that stuff is for the body to rejuvenate itself. Because when we don't, you know, then we don't have the strength or the energy to really you know, to support the ones that we love. So mm -hmm. again, I wouldn't change a thing, you know, it's like mm -hmm. of what I would do for her. And just like you said, you wouldn't change your thing. And it's like your friend, she wouldn't change your thing, but we all need help in taking care of, of us. Cause like one person can't be at two places at the same time, <laughs> you know? Right. And, but we have to take care of ourselves. So yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, you are not off topic at all. I mean, it's like, this is what people need to hear because it's those things that, mm -hmm. how can you help someone? Sometimes you can just say, how can I support you? Mm -hmm. What do you need right now? And th right. sometimes that's all somebody need to hear, you yeah. know? And you know, and sometimes I think when you ask somebody something and they're going through they somehow they make him think of what they need mm -hmm. so I think it's important when we see those little things that need they may need help mm -hmm. maybe we can suggest because sometimes I can remember um my in-laws asked me from Birmingham what, what do you need anything I had a brother-in-law was coming to South Carolina I was like no I don't need anything he's like nothing no not thinking they had Lysol they had all these masks <laughs> but it just didn't you know and and I was thinking man, maybe I wish he would have said well we got a lot lot of Lysol here we could send it by fits but it didn't click mm -hmm. you know because he was like y'all don't need anything no we're fine so I think if a lot of times we we, we should ask yes but if we see that need, yes, just say, "Hey, do do you need me to go to the store for you? Mm -hmm. Do you need me to, you know, to pick up some, some food?" So, and I think about that question. I was like, "Oh," and he said, "Well, I figured you had everything you needed." Cause you said, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I can remember just you know running low on lights all, but he asked, "What do you need?" Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm fine. I'm good. I don't need yeah. it. And I did. Yeah. Yeah. So if you see the need to say, hey, I'll give a suggestion. That I think that's a great idea because a lot of times your mind be in a someplace else 
It does. It really does. And it's kind of one of those things too. Um, I think it goes both ways. Like you said, to ask people, what do you need? How can I help you? How can I support you? And then also if you're the person who's in need of something, even though we may not know, I would just say pause for a moment. I always tell people, if you if you even ask yourself the question three times, like for whatever reason, if you repeat something three times, then they kind of mm-hmm. start having you think instead of just trying to answer. And then the other thing is because with our society, you know, it doesn't, it's always about a giving. Again, mm-hmm. if someone is there to support us, then it's kind of like, no, I don't need anything. Is to try again, pause and try not to be in the habit of saying, I don't need anything. You know, because I think it's a habit and it's the way our society had kind of taught us. It's like, oh, to be a giver, but not to always be a receiver. But, mm-hmm. you know, it, both of those are equally important because, again, we can be missing out on some Lysol or something. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, I'm done. I don't need anything. I'm like, wait, I do. I know. I was like, I'm good to go. And we do that. I think it's out of habit. Yeah, I agree. You know, I mean, it is the way that society is, um, had kind of, you know, groomed us and social conditioning, social programming and all that. But yeah, I think, um, you know, it's a duality, meaning, Mm -hmm. you know, try not to just have an automatic answer, thinking that, yo, I got to hurry up and answer this or, or whatever it may be. Um, but yeah, I think it's really important for people, like you said, too, to say, hey, let me see how I can help them. Are you sure you don't need no help in certain, like I say, give suggestions, especially yeah. something that you can see and being obvious um, mm-hmm. and something like that. And especially like for mothers, you know, because I'm not sure because by me not being a parent, I'm mm-hmm. not sure if I would have thought of that, I say early on. To, mm-hmm. to ask someone about that you know I might have thought about some other things so sometimes it depends on you know our position should I say in the world of what we have to offer you know like mothers may offer d- different things than non-mothers and it's kind of like don't get mad at nobody now don't get mad at me but <laughs> you know we all have ideas and just mm-hmm. mean it because we view the world in a certain way you know I might have would have thought about it I just say mine would have been farther down my list. I have confidence I would have thought about it, <laughs> but it just might have would have been farther down my list. You know what I'm right. saying? Mm-hmm. So I think people need to, you know, kind of just keep that in mind too. You know, bring who you are and offer what you can. And mm-hmm. um, people really do need help in so many, you know, um, support in so many different ways when they are in a caregiver role. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so before we end, is there anything else you'd like to leave on the audience with? Um, just be sure to um, get all the help you can. Um, because it, I can say the journey that I took with my husband, you know, it was some great days it was and then it was some sad days and of course the saddest one um it's when he passed away yeah and but I had some assurance and just some relief that he was not in pain anymore yeah yeah um so it's not an easy road but just stay you know in prayer and 
And I'm so grateful that I had opportunity to be with him from the beginning mm-hmm. to the end. Um, because the body, the, the medication and everything that it take over the years take a toll on the body. Yeah. So and and that was his case, but I was there to the end, the same place where I work. I we were there. Mm-hmm. So um get all the support you need and you because you can't do it alone. If somebody said they, they got it, they don't need any help, let me meet that person and, and tell them so they can share with me how they manage. But um and just being there for that that person and again just getting the help they need. Um and just compassion. Just and and patience. Mm-hmm. Patience and compassion, caring for someone for sickle cell, oh my gosh, can just take you and that individual a long way and able to make the burden a little light. I'm not going to say it's going to be easy and it's going to take away everything, but if the two of you can do that together, yeah, it's possible. Anything is possible. And I hope that they can get a cure for this one day and um, mm-hmm. because it's a chronic painful disease, but, um, and be ready for the things that may come your way. Uh, they may get angry uh, very dependent on you they may get depressed and then you know I think for my husband and then he had the acceptance you know that okay this is coming to an end and he knew Yeah. so um, so I think when he accepted when his health was really declining with his organs and he said, you know, no more. Yeah. You know, and I respect that because it was his fight. Yes. And that's another thing I would tell everybody. It's not your fight. It's their fight. Yeah. So that's just good. be, you know, with them until the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I really do appreciate you sharing your journey, your husband's journey. And so that people can really have a perspective you know, not only just from a caregiver's point of view, but also from his point of view, you know, from someone who experienced sickle cell point of view as well, you know, by you being able to pretty much carry on his legacy. And so I know that people who listen to this and um, family and friends and leaders who may have some who may have someone who experienced sickle cell or diagnosed with sickle cell can really take something from this and above all like you say patience and companion mm-hmm. yeah i say companion i meant to say uh, compassion i yes. do that sometimes <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the seeds yes i understand <laughs> as soon as I said it I was like oh wait a minute that doesn't sound right but Uh, patience and compassion really does go a long way because you need a companion (laughs) to help you with that whether that companion is a family friend or anyone else so it it all goes hand in hand you are so right Shane. yes it does yes it does yes Well, again, I really do appreciate your contribution to this episode. You're welcome. You're welcome. And thank you for uh, even asking me. So I I appreciate it. And uh, when it comes to sickle cell and if people willing to listen, I'll talk.
So thank you. You're welcome. It's appreciated. Thank you for listening to the Inform Advocate Podcast. Please subscribe and follow us on Anchor or Spotify. Our guests offer experiences, wisdom, and holistic approaches to wellness. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest, visit our website at affirmholisticnetwork.net or email me at affirmholisticnetwork at gmail.com.